Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle, and as always, I'm going to be your host today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about polyamory in fiction. So we're talking about lots of different fictional representations of consensual non-monogamy, and more specifically, polyamory, where we can find it. Um, I am including in the show notes the post that was previously up on the blog about this, and also... Uh, a list that my guest, who is my friend Abby, at Polyanarchy on TikTok, uh, made that's more comprehensive than mine, of both novels, graphic novels, some different comics from other sources, and uh, a few series and short stories as well. We don't have uh, sort of big housekeeping things today, so we're going to get right into our episode. Uh, so this is polyamory in fiction. So uh, I'm here with Abby, and we're going to be talking today about polyamory in fiction, specifically as a sort of spinoff of her series about polyamory in media that she's got running on TikTok. And because, like I said on the blog a couple of months ago, I've been trying to read more fiction with polyamorous relationships in it. And sometimes that's a hard prospect when you're just looking at a list of books and you're like, does any of this have polyamory in it? I don't know. <laughs> well, and also the ones that do have polyamory in them. Sometimes you look at the list of books and you're like, wait, but half of these aren't my taste at all. How do I know that any of these aren't garbage? So we're here today to disambiguate that for you a little. Yes. And it definitely helps for me, at least, that I have really broad taste. So I am willing to ingest all of these things so that other people don't have to if it's not their taste. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a favorite book that has a non-monogamous relationship in it? Or is that, like for most readers, an impossible question? <laughs> I mean, you're talking to a bisexual, polyamorous, non-binary switch. So I like to joke that I've never made a decision in my life. Um, lately, my hyperfixation has been a lot towards The Iron Widow, um, just because, of I course, enjoyed that book. <laughs> yeah, it was just so delightful. But like, ask me in a week, and I will probably have a different <laughs> favorite. Um, a Long Way to a Small Angry Planet definitely got up there it's pretty high it doesn't have as much of the polyamory as iron widow which is why i think it's not taking the number one spot but with that one in particular i'm planning on reading the whole series before doing a polyamory in media just because i feel like i need to give the whole thing an honest shake um just to see like how are they going to expand on this as they develop the world more and the idea of like a Firefly-esque cast where at least two of the party are polyamorous just like excites me to no end. <laughs> yeah. And like, so for me, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet was probably one of my favorite books that I've read in the last six months. Um, and I was just totally swept away by the world itself, by the world building, by the plot line. I was just caught in it. And it didn't really matter that the focus was not at all on the romance in any way. So the fact that some of the romances happened to be non-monogamous was really, really incidental. Um, in this world, there's like sort of just as a backstory fact that one of the races is entirely non-monogamous. Um, and so one of these alien, uh, 
you know, species that the humans are interacting with throughout, uh, that's one of them's a member of the crew, uh, are non-monogamous constantly. So you sort of get to know bits and pieces about their culture through the plot. And in that you get kind of interesting non-monogamy rep. That does hit on one of the tropes that I like don't super love in non-monogamy representation, which is necessarily making the non-monogamy kind of othered either by making it the purview of aliens or in some fantasy novels by making it like, well, the barbarian tribe that we encountered on our journeys have these group marriages, but we here in civilized land do not. The one thing that I did definitely pick up on though, and it was just like a footnote, it was literally one line in the novel. Um, but at one point in time, the captain who is human uh, remarks that sometimes humans do have relationships with multiple people. And I was like, oh shit, you're admitting that polyamory happens in human society too? Like it seemed more like a footnote mention. And that's why I want to read the rest to really see how the world develops as um, she gets to expand on it a little more. Well, right. And they included things like um, interspecies relationships and lots of little details that just kind of indicate that it's a relatively open society in a way that to me seemed both interesting and like it could be built on in a really cool way. That since it's the first book of a series, I was like, awesome. Yeah, it sets a really great foundation. Um, I will say another one of the tropes that it did kind of fall into is that the polyamorous or the non-monogamous species is also kind of slutty. <laughs> As an extremely slutty polyamorous person, I don't mind this, but simultaneously <laughs> I understand why it's not the best representation. Yeah, no, I definitely identify as a slutty polyamorous person, but I have also dated a lot of asexual people, um, especially since becoming polyamorous because um, there's a lot of great asexual people in our community who get to have really fulfilling relationships that don't include sex. And honestly, it's probably the only way that I could have a long-term asexual relationship. Um, but, you know, it allows me that flexibility, right? And so, um, I don't know. I feel like that section of our community gets so maligned and ignored anyway that it especially makes me irritated when it's like, oh, those slutty non-monogamous people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is hard when you paint a whole community with one brush sort of no matter what. So in yeah. Iron Widow, the main storyline involves the main character getting into a V that becomes a triad. And that's kind of spoilers, I guess, but it's not full spoilers because it just, I don't tell you how any of this happens, friends. Well, and, and not to mention that that was also a lot of the publicity of the book included that information. Right. Um, pretty much the whole community. I know this. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the whole community knew it. Uh, the author talks about it. Uh, they talk about it pretty openly. And so like, I don't think that it was a surprise to anyone that it it's focused on like a V slash triad dynamic. <laughs> right. And so it's a really well written V and triad dynamic. Like, yeah, I don't think I've read a sort of hinge grappling with their dynamic that well written. 
I don't know if I have ever, but certainly not in something that's classed as YA, right? Yeah. Um, and I struggled with the very opening of the book because the opening is full of YA tropes. But then once you get into the sort of middle section of the book, it's just a pretty well-written romance adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I like well-written romance adventures. Like I've got a shelf full of popcorn romances in my room. Mm -hmm. My partner is looking at me askance through the internet. Of course. <laughs> you know what? Everybody needs their junk food reading, I think. And, you know, sweet adventure romance type stuff is definitely an acceptable junk food reading, I think. Um, or regular reading. I'm not meaning to cast judgment, but that's always what I've called it, like my junk food reading. <laughs> well, right. For me, it's the thing I can read like a bag of chips, right? Yeah. Uh, in that I consume it quickly, happily, and then I'm like, ah, oh, yes, the next one. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> well, and I think that really um, how you described it is really emblematic of how, um, and I'm going to totally butcher their name, but they have a traditional um, Chinese name, and I fully right. admit I know that I can't Zhao pronounce it. Zhao is the last name, right? Isn't yes, it? I think uh, so. But I don't know um, what the author's first name is. Let me see. It's in my stack here. <laughs> But uh, the yeah, thing is, is that, Zhao. yes, um, I, the thing is, is that I feel like the concession they make to YA is very much that like world building has to be just because of the readers that you're targeting things to a little bit more um, transparent and like sort of laid out a little bit more handholdy. Um, and so once they get that done, I feel like they get that done in the beginning and you feel the YA-ness of it really in those first beginning parts, but then sh they're, they're just like, all right, and now we're done. Let's go. Right. The world building <laughs> is transparent. It's a little bit extreme sort of good and evil in the way that YA um, handholds your morals a little when you walk through a YA novel. And so for me, because as a grown up, I like my characters to be a little more complicated that's a little hard but she does a really good job with the emotional honesty of the characters within that framework definitely so so yeah. long as you're comfortable with your like our main character is a female badass who as part of her female empowerment uh storyline is going to gather the good guys around her including two of them who she ends up in a relationship with then you're gonna enjoy this story as a ride a hundred percent. And I'm honestly really excited to see how she develops it further because I, it definitely feels like it could be a trilogy, um, not a duology. Right. And it does end on kind of a cliffhanger moment. And yes. so I didn't realize until the last two pages of the book that it wasn't a standalone novel, got to the end and went, there's a sequel. <laughs> and like threw the book down <laughs> because I'm that kind of reader. <laughs> My, uh, I have a partner who is uh, that way. And I specifically, whenever they borrow my books, I'm like, okay, now you remember when they're my books, you have to baby them. You they are my children. Them borrow them. That's so kind of you. I do. I let, I let a lot, cause my, I have a whole, like, <laughs> my partner doesn't let me touch books anymore. He has like a library where he has like lending out bookmarks that he yeah. writes people's names on, like, like their library books. And I'm not allowed to take them anymore because <laughs> as much as I tried to baby them, I did not do a good enough job 
so I'm not allowed anymore. Yeah, uh, our polycule, I probably have the biggest, one of the biggest libraries, one of my metas, I'm thinking about it and she might be equal to or more because she also has kids in her house. So she has to have kids lit in there too. But um, because of that, and because I'm like, oh my God, I need people to talk with about these things. I, I'm just like, yeah, no, share the love. And you know, we're all leftists. So <laughs> we're all about the community. <laughs> so for the blog i got sent a book that i know you haven't read because it's not out yet because um, i got sent an advanced review copy and i put a review up on the blog a couple weeks ago uh and it's called i am my beloveds and it's by jonathan papernick he it's the only book on my list that isn't either sci-fi fantasy or ya okay everything else on my list touches at least one of those categories if not two of them at once um i know you have a longer list than me so you might have other things that i do completely outside of that category yes uh, actually i guess one other book on my list doesn't the island at the edge of normal doesn't but it's just smutty <laughs> so like when i finished reading that one i was like was there a plot here I mean, I enjoyed it, but <laughs> I'm not complaining, but <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a sliver of plot. Um, so it's anyway. good to know. Cause that one's still on my list. So, <laughs> and it's set in Maine and I'd just been on vacation to Maine. And so I was like, this was really enjoyable, but like, it's like, if you took my vacation and turned the smuttiness up to 11, <laughs> how nice wonderful <laughs> but so this one instead i am my beloveds by jonathan papernick he is a professor um who has published a couple of collections of short stories and one other novel and this novel of his is about a couple opening up their marriage and sort of how it affects their relationship and i wanted to like love 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 this book because he's a really good writer and so I liked his style, but I didn't like the characters. And so when authors write a like purposely unlikable character, they create a lot of work to like dig you out of that. And I yeah. think a lot of why he did that was to try to get monogamous audiences to like resonate with the perspective character who's having okay. a lot of trouble with the relationship opening up. But for me, it just came across as a lot of sort of misogyny and disregarding the relationship of the wife and the wife's girlfriend. I'm like, like visibly cringing right now. <laughs> yeah, for like the first third of the book. And yeah. so by the time we got to the point where he's having some growth and you can start liking him as a character, I'd already sort of emotionally checked out of him. Yeah. And that was really hard for me as a reader. Definitely. So beautifully well-written. If you're a fast reader who's willing to sort of plow through a hard first third, go ahead. 
Yeah. If you're not trying to like give it to your uncle as an example of what good non-monogamy is, go ahead. Okay. Because it's complex. It's interesting. The characters are very human. Um, also, a content warning for this one. There's um, a pregnancy loss and trying to conceive throughout it. And that can be really hard for people. Um, Myself included. <laughs> so, so I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> like the the wife and her girlfriend both have stories of that during the book. Yeah. And it's challenging. Um, yeah. So it's this really interesting, really complicated novel where there's a lot of very real human emotion. And so I appreciated the like, look at it both as very real people and as older people, right? It wasn't about like teenagers. Because yeah. that is sort of the problem with a lot of these being YA is that you get these like 19 year old protagonists. And while I started polyamory when I was 19, a lot of people don't. Mm -mm. <laughs> So our protagonists being in their like mid, like late 20s to mid 30s felt a lot more real. Yeah, nope, that that's me to a T because I I entered polyamory in my late mid to late 20s. So, yeah. Right. I'm like I'm in my mid 30s now. So it was a it looked like this book was going to be like the relatable book for me. And then I was like, oh, if only he wasn't a dick for the first third of it. And he's the perspective character. Oof. Yeah. That's a hard sell. So I gave it four stars because it is really beautifully written. And parts of it are very, like, accurate and affecting. But parts of it were just hard. I also, That's fair. Yeah. Like, for me, the only five-star books that I've read in the last like six months are the long way to a small angry planet and a conspiracy of truths now i have to look it up because of course i i have good reads i know that conspiracy or a long way to a small angry planet is my first five star of 2022 um they are the first one that i have given all five stars to 10 out of 10. um but like i'm super picky so i usually give things four when i enjoy it no it's three if i enjoy it but i don't think i can recommend it to anyone four right. if i can recommend it to a few people and then five if i'm going to tell literally every person i know that I they need to read this yeah for me it's that three if i enjoyed it but i wouldn't recommend it four if i would recommend it to people five if it's like absolutely you need this everyone <laughs> needs this in your life have you heard the word of my Lord and Savior, The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern? Oh, I finished that one um, just not too long ago, too. It's so good. Have I shown oh. you my tattoo based on that one? No. I'm sorry for you folks not getting the sight gag because <laughs> you don't have the recording. Because I'm that kind of nerd, folks. I have book tattoos. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what English majors do. We get book tattoos. At least you have a book tattoo you can talk about and not one that you're looking to cover up. Oh, I'm so sorry, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even see it before I said it, but it's true. It's true. That's exactly the one that I need to cover up. Yeah, you're my age. This is what happens. <laughs> this is what um, we do. <laughs> that's why I'm glad I had no money to get a tattoo during those years. <laughs> um, but 
But yes, so A Conspiracy of Truths was my other, like, five-star out of these polyamory books. And it's actually another one where the non-monogamy was not the point. The romances were not the point. The one romantic relationship that gets centered is a monogamous one. And it's not of the main character, it's of two of the secondary characters. Interesting. Uh, the main character is a 70-year-old storyteller who's in jail. Okay. He's trying to get himself out of jail. Uh, and his apprentice and his lawyer come in and out to tell him the news of the day. And his lawyer is in a non-monogamous marriage with three spouses. Uh, and so you get sort of her life and historical background and whatever throughout as like flavor. And then his apprentice falls in love with a scribe of the court. Uh, and they have a monogamous relationship that ebbs and th flows throughout the book. But yes, Chant, the storyteller, uh, learns all the truths and lies behind the situation that he's stuck in. Um, and tells it in a conspiracy of truths. I am so excited to read that. It, it That one, I have the physical copy and then my library hold on the audiobook because sometimes I transfer back and forth. Uh, just came through, actually. So I'm super psyched for that now. And for that one, that's the one where it's... The non-monogamy is very background, but part of what it is is it's an indication to our main character that something is going wrong in the country not because people are non-monogamous he sees that as like a perfectly normal variation in humanity but that the non-monogamous families are getting bigger in this generation than they've ever been before and he's like why and starts asking like the guards questions and discovers that it's because people are scared of how much they're getting charged in taxes so they need more income and so it's a very literal like monogamy in this economy kind of answer from the guards and like that, like, yeah. that's not how the world is supposed to run. <laughs> like, this was a valid cultural practice, and now you're being weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say the one big category that I didn't hear from your list, but that has been, like, really huge for me and actually is the reason that I started my polyamory and media uh, series is uh, graphic novels and comic books. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's, like... Not a ton, ton, but a fairly large amount. And I'm kind of selfishly like lucky because my local comic book shop is woman and queer owned. Um, so yay, I it's so easy to find representation there. They literally have like five shelves and one entire shelf is dedicated to LGBTQ plus. Um, it's, it's fantastic. 10 out of 10 if well, no, I'm not going to tell y'all where I live. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the first one that I found that really resonated with me, and actually I think you would love it, Laura, um, is Open Earth. Um, it is a sci-fi thing. It's sort of just a slice of life, one-off little graphic novel. Like it's not that long, It's but it's super interesting because it just kind of plops you in the middle of a spacecraft where quite a few people are in non-monogamous relationships with each other, um, but openly so. Uh, it's really fun. The drawing style is really 
beautiful too. Like the art just looks gorgeous. Um, the other one that I really love, um, well, no, I'm going to talk about three at least. Um, another one that I really love is Sugartown. That's another slice of life type thing. But um, Sugartown is so cute. It's just like, it, it is sort of younger-ish. So it's like a, the main character is a kid who's home from college um, on a break of some kind. And uh, it's her first polyamorous relationship. And so her boyfriend is like, well, when you go home, go on dates, go do the thing, like <laughs> get out there. You're not getting any attention. So you might as well get something and tell me all about your dates. Like, I want to hear about it. I want to celebrate with you. And so like, you get to see this sapphic first date and like, they do just a phenomenal job of doing the polyamorous first date where you're like, Okay, so what kind of polyamory do you practice? How many partners do you have? What does your time availability look like? What type of dynamic are you looking for in our relationship? Like all those really blunt, honest questions that happen so much at the beginning, they the do that. that. You bring a checklist to and hope that you still yeah. get a second date. <laughs> right? And they do that in this comic. And I was just blown away the when I read it because I was like, I have never actually seen this represented in media, but this is like exactly what happens a lot of the time on first dates with polyamorous people is that we make sure that we're compatible on all the things so that we don't waste each other's time going down a romantic route when both of us are probably very busy and have lots of options so we might as well you know figure out what our niche is <laughs> yeah right figuring out that you have an actually compatible time slot somewhere so it's yes. not i have every second wednesday forever well i own only have Fridays and Monday brunches. <laughs> and then actually Webtoon has been doing some really great things with um, non-monogamy on their platform. So um, I have done a polyamory and media about Muted, uh, which is the super cute, super gay, um, <laughs> witchy thing. Uh, it's, you know, witches and uh, it's slightly older than like college age like they're around that space like 23 24 is probably where I'd peg most of the characters at um but it's super cute the art's gorgeous that's great and then um Kate the button lady actually uh referred me to another one that I am wor working on going through right now which is um I'm looking up the name now because uh fluidium mm-hmm um, and that one is so cool. It's sort of sci-fi alt reality type thing where uh, you get a mask body and a femme body when you're born. And then on your 21st birthday, you have to pick one. Um, but there's also like polyamory in there. And it's it, it makes me very excited. I'm very early on, but I like am stimming over here because it makes me so excited. It's a cool concept. Yeah. Um, so if, if comics or graphic novels are your bag, like there's a ton of great options in that space coming out right now. Um, as far as not the, uh, genres that you talked about, but still like more traditional fiction, I am honestly looking through my list. <laughs> I know that there are some. <laughs> 
I mean, even if we stay in those same genres, I think it's notable that because a lot of us are such big nerds, as we grow up and become the creators of this fiction, we're all writing in the genres we love. So there is a lot of sci-fi coming out of it. There is a lot of fantasy coming out of it. A lot of sort of earlier and older non-monogamy representation is stuff like Heinlein. So when you look at The Moon is a Harsh Mistress or... Um, Friday or um, Stranger in a Strange Land, you get kind of early polyamory representation. When me and my ex came out to his parents as polyamorous, uh, his dad's reaction was, oh, I've read Heinlein. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, if people in their 60s can go, oh, I've read Heinlein, then like, we can all figure it out together. Just as long as yes. we're all nerds together, right? Like, <laughs> well, and I feel like that's so intrinsic to the communities who started those genres too, and who really were foundational for them, right? So, like, sci-fi has a huge history, and not only the queer community, but also in the color community. Um, mm -hmm. So, people of color and queer people have been gravitating towards sci-fi from the beginning, just because it provides so many opportunities for those people to see a better life or to see potential or to find hope or escapism and so it really harkens back to how those genres were formed and um i'm trying to get one of my friends to come on to a polyamory and media with me because he is a huge knowledgeable person on the history of sci-fi and he also writes sci-fi mm -hmm. and so i'm just like please just come on and do your rant about how like sci-fi has always been queer and colored like <laughs> right and the areas that these genres maybe haven't done so well in terms of putting those communities forward are areas that they're trying to improve on now by and large right so now the up-and-coming younger voices that are doing well are people like Zhao, who wrote Iron Widow, who's yeah. a Chinese-Canadian who's doing spectacularly, or like N.K. Jemisin uh, writing The Fifth yes. Season, which is another book that was on my list. I think you've read it too, right? Yes, I love her. She is one of my all-time favorite authors. <laughs> and she's a Black writer who wrote this gorgeous fantasy novel that, like, it's sprawling. Yes. Um, I think I enjoyed the whole thing. My only objection to it was that there were points where the point where you realize how the different storylines intertwined, uh, I was a big grump and I was like, that isn't the twist I wanted. <laughs> Sight gags again, folks. I'm just making the grumpiest face you've ever seen. It's um, beautiful. I love it. <laughs> but that's yeah. my only objection like it's a beautifully constructed work nothing is wrong with it if i wasn't such a grumpy gills uh, <laughs> i probably should have given it five stars instead of four but i am so well and honestly i think nk jemison is so great at both taking the the world we know and slightly tweaking it but also then just developing this whole entirely different world um and so to have the fact that she does polyamory representation layered on that like she includes queer people she includes trans people in like all, every one of her books that i've ever read have had queer people and trans people as well as, as people of color um and 
most of them have had explicit polyamory at one point. Um, the only exception I can think of off the top of my head would be her short stories. I don't know that I've read any of those with polyamory. And then The City We Became doesn't have any explicit polyamory, but it's also only got the first book out so far. So I'm going to give it time. I'm hoping that that <laughs> one gets some polyamory rep because. And like just the sort of sense of a lot of these genres kind of growing into more modern versions of themselves where we don't have to be stuck in the 60s because we're in sci-fi right yes. sci-fi doesn't mean a 1960s vision of what 2020 is it means a 2020 vision of what 2040 2060 20 god knows what <laughs> are going to be yeah and that's one of the things that i think honestly a lot of genres are grappling with right now but i feel like the sci-fi fantasy and then the YA genres, all of those three specifically are being really forward about it. Like you can actually see them going through the process. And I imagine that we'll see the general literary space go through this process as a whole over the next coming years. I've already seen it starting to happen in the romance genre a little bit. Um, but I imagine that as a whole, our stories are going to get a lot less white centric they're gonna get a lot less heteronormative and i for one welcome our new overlords like yeah. i mean i, I am like so excited YA has had a lot more opportunity to shift because yes. it's in theory its audience shifts every 10 years yeah right? it's a new crop of people to feed information to and each new crop of people in theory has a different set of norms well, and it's one of the reasons that I look to it to see what the trends are going to be in adult fiction, too, because the things that actually are sticky in YA, they're going to come to the adult fiction world. Like, that's just exactly. what happens. And it is interesting because I do. So I follow book talk a little. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> not a lot, but a little. <laughs> and the ways that I do are always really funny because you know, I follow people who do series like, would you, a 30-year-old, like these books? <laughs> well, because for me, that's my biggest thing is I want to know what's going on. So I want to read some of the YA to see what the trends are. But I only want to read the good YA because I'm not 17 anymore. <laughs> that's totally fair. Uh, like, I have a lot more of a stomach for it. And I honestly kind of credit it a little bit like I could be wrong but uh, I'm crediting it at this point to the fact that I don't have kids so <laughs> like I'm not irritated with it at this point because I don't have to deal with you know all of the like kitty tropes in my daily life so if I only have to deal with it in my fiction and I don't read YA every book then I can take little YA breaks but read YA like once a month or whatever which for me means that it's like I don't know, once every fifth book or sixth book, I'll read a mm -hmm. YA book. <laughs> but um, one of the things that's been really encouraging in the YA space specifically, uh, a few years ago, I specifically wanted to decolonize my reading shelf. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was trying to primarily read books by non-white voices. And holy mackerel, does the YA space really like promote the authorship of these marginalized communities 
in a way that I just haven't seen in other genres yet. And I'm really hoping hits regular fiction soon. Um, but the thing about dealing with marginalized communities is that you're more likely to see intersectional stuff. And so that's when polyamory can come in. That's when queer lit can come in. Um, and that is what I get super excited about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Expanding the voices that we're listening to makes it more likely that we get an intersection of experiences. Exactly. Yeah. So when I posted in various groups, like asking about people's recommendations of books with non-monogamy representation in it, I got a few specific books and then I got lots of people just listing off like entire fantasy series <laughs> because a lot of fantasy series have like one or two books that involve somebody being in a polyamorous relationship for a moment or like, you know, they've got a little bit of polyamory in the background or the main character isn't in one committed relationship and kind of gets around but everybody knows about it but and so it's like open enough that if you want to read it polyamorously you can and for the most part i don't think of these as particularly great polyamory representation because like well it was written in the 90s the person writing it probably didn't think of it as polyamory or non-monogamy representation and it doesn't look like anything that I would think of as this. Yeah. I, I kind I'm of gonna count it. <laughs> yeah. I fall into the same camp. I will take those recommendations over what I get most of the time, which when I put out calls for new media, when I'm like, oh my well's drying up, like what do y'all recommend? I get a lot of fanon based recommendations, yeah. which I think is just a element of being on TikTok and asking for recommendations, right? Is that the audience is going to skew a little younger. It's also going to skew much geekier. Um, so Fanon is just a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've had a lot of requests for things that I'm like, I know the Fanon is that they're in a like triad or a non-monogamous polycule or whatever. But... <laughs> In I'm the looking actual for explicit book, they don't. Yeah, right. I'm looking for explicit representation, not like I think this sounds like representation. <laughs> right. Like if I wanted to, I could read a triad into Harry Potter, but it's not there. Yeah, I too uh, was twelve well, once. <laughs> like, listen, we've all written bad Marauders fanfic. It's fine, but we're not going to do a video about it. Of course we have. <laughs> but if anyway. you didn't come up as like, a millennial writing fanfic, you didn't come up as a millennial nerd. Um. <laughs> but so just like for things like that, series that I think have a lot of non-monogamy representation. And if you're really into it and also into the genre of the stories, maybe are worth reading. Wheel of Time, which is currently being made into a TV show as well. They're changing a lot in the TV show from what was in the books. So it's got non-monogamy representation in the TV show, but they've clearly taken it in a direction where they're taking out some of the non-monogamy representation from the book to make the representation of the way they're choosing to present it in the TV show more palatable than that relationship was in the book. So grain of salt. Or if you're watching the show and then deciding to read the book, be ready for there to be things that are different. 
the expanse books have a little bit of non-monogamy in them um they're sort of in the background much like other sci-fi series um there are some non-monogamous groupings in some books in the absolutely enormous Heralds of Valdemar series by Mercedes Lackey. But like, again, it's mostly written throughout the eighties and nineties and like the non-monogamy was not the point. Uh, and it's got a little bit of that trope of like the people from this faraway land, they sometimes live in these non-traditional families. How cool is that? <laughs> and so like grain of salt. Yeah. I had I that as a teenager and I thought we're cool then. And I still don't think they're bad now, but like, mm -hmm. they're not going out of their way to like be good rep for us, for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I had a couple books that are on the list because I've seen them mentioned as being like polyamory representation, but like, truthfully, when I read them, I was not polyamorous yet. Like I was aware that polyamory was a thing vaguely, like I had heard the term, mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't polyamorous at that point in my life. So I wasn't actually paying a ton of attention. And so, and also one of them is a translated book. So I'm not sure if it's more polyamorous in the original or in the English translation, but I've heard that there's supposedly some polyamory representation in the girl with the dragon tattoo series. I do not remember that at all from reading oh, those books, but kinda is. I can, but yeah, like kinda. it's kind of like yeah. I was polyamorous when I read them and I would still only say kind of it's a stretch. It's there. Yeah. It's a stretch. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean, that's the... not fantasy or yeah. Uh, YA. There you go. What do we call that? Do we call that a thriller? What a thriller or suspense? Or like I, a suspense murder mystery? Something like that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it feels a little grungy for murder mystery. As silly as it's, that sounds to say. It's just very Northern Europe. The whole the whole mood. Take take a movie about Northern Europe and then impose a murder over the top. Burp. There you go. That's the girl with the dragon tattoo. Look, <laughs> I love Danish political shows so like i can't actually complain about this aesthetic but like yeah yeah it's definitely a vibe book like <laughs> it hits that um and then uh this one is ya and it's like steampunky fantasy but um the infernal devices series by cassandra clare which um oh, cassandra okay. clare uh got more famous for her original series um the greatest but, fan fiction ever published yeah right <laughs> <laughs> let's do a dreary fic and then let's change it so we can publish it i read <laughs> it when it was still a fic <laughs> nerd i love it <laughs> uh but yeah so the uh infernal devices series cassandra claire has specifically said like Yes, I think they would probably at some point in time form a triad um, of three but, of the main characters. But do they on the page? That's the thing. They don't. And so technically, like authorial intent, but also that reeks but I of don't let Rowling else get like, along with, get around with that. So I don't. Why would I let? No. Exactly. Which is why I haven't done a polyamory media on it because I'm like, well, I've read it, but you didn't write it so like you're saying it now now that the series is done but you didn't write that on the page so no, you don't get yeah, credit no. for that yeah <laughs> she can write a sequel 
there you go. She she seems to be willing to do that. <laughs> Sequels and spinoffs galore. <laughs> Get that money. Um. One that I will say I'm really excited to read the sequel to, um, and it's more of an indie published thing, like the author is a lot smaller, uh, but the book is called The Wicker King, uh, and uh, the author's name is K.A. Ankrum, I want to say, and they are based out of the Midwest, uh, which was cool. Uh, I found out that they're from Chicago, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can figure out where they're at, and then I was like, Abby, that's creepy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh they're stalking book... the midwest <laughs> listen in the midwest we have a whole different version of stalking because it's so you easy come to out of to... the cornfields <laughs> precisely yeah no uh children of the corn it's me um <laughs> but the wicker king was really cool uh one i would recommend that if you're going to read it pick up the physical book because they did really cool things with how they printed that book. Um, and that's all I'll say. It The printing actually is part of the story. Um, and so uh, sh- they just do really cool things with that. And I was like, I kept seeing it on lists of like, oh yeah, these characters are polyamorous. And I read it and I was like, I can see that, but they're also 17 and really inept. Um <laughs> and like it's set in the 90s so like even more inept (laughs) if you need teenage dirtbag polyamory representation yes that's actually exactly it because like I said it's set in like the late 90s early 2000s so teenage dirtbag is actually an accurate representation but um actually interestingly enough the author commented on my polyamory and media video because I said in it I wondered if it would be more explicit in the sequel because I knew there was one, but I hadn't read it yet. And the author straight up commented on my video and was like, yes, it's much more explicit in the sequel because exactly that, like they grow up and more explicit things happen. And so at the start of the sequel, like she is pregnant and dating both of them. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Adults have adult relationships. (laughs) (laughs) and i i honestly kind of like that as a transition too because like that book i could relate to those ya characters even more just because uh they were teenagers when i was a teenager they would have been like slightly older than me and so it's very much like i can take myself back to that Mm-hmm. and relate to these characters in a way that makes me probably more forgiving of YA antics because I'm just like, oh yeah, no, I definitely would have done that when I was 17. This is how we behaved before cell phones, I see. Exactly. <laughs> and so it it really intrigues me and I have the sequel actually sitting right over there because I need to read it um, because I want to see how you know, they grow them up and mature their polyamory and make it a more healthy dynamic as they mature, hopefully, fingers crossed. (laughs) We can hope. Now you've said this and it's going to turn out the author wrote a dumpster fire. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, that's my life. (laughs) You've hoped and now. And now. (laughs) Really, though, in general, I've been impressed that while going through this whole process, I haven't, like, 
found a lot of terrible books that I have nothing in terms of interests or like common whatever with because I was like I'm mostly just reading these because the polyamory content and then I was like wait I'm a giant nerd though it's fine I'd be reading those anyway yeah I'm reading <laughs> nerd books it's okay yeah. Uh, the only one that I did not finish is one that was very much written like the mid-90s, uh, fetishizing the mid-60s, and I could not get into it, um, and I gave it a couple of tries, but it just, <sighs> yeah, no. Yeah, the only one that I couldn't get into actually was a genre that I don't generally dip into, which is um, period pieces. Uh, I can do historical fiction, but period pieces are less of my thing. And so, um, which one was I, that? Uh, that was that inevitable Victorian thing. Oh, I haven't read it. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, I actually just put it on hold again because I'm going to give it another try. <laughs> because I, do I period pieces, so maybe period I'll... pieces are not one of my things. Hmm. So I have to be in the right mindset for it, but. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I like pretending to like, I'm going to go live in this time period for a few hours. Good day. <laughs> you know, like I can do that. Fair enough. Yeah. Although I also like the super anachronistic historical fiction, especially super anachronistic romances that make no sense. Yes. The entire series Bridgerton is based on. Super anachronistic makes no sense. Ridiculous. <laughs> That's one that's it was a struggle for me. But again, to our earlier point, the thing that I love about Bridgerton is that I am seeing more colorblind casting. And I 100% give credit to Shonda for that. Like, thank you, Shonda, for colorblind casting Bridgerton, because now I don't even remember what it was, but I saw a, com a commercial for some other show and I was like, oh, that is only colorblind casting because of Bridgerton like I will tell you right now because it's another period piece and typically it would be a white cast and it is not so I'm not mad about that I have other things that I am irked about with Bridgerton but I'm not mad about that like all the costuming <laughs> that's an entirely different episode you and I need to have that conversation separately <laughs> the lack of trigger warning for Bridgerton was oh, my that problem. Too. And yeah. Like, between anyway, it's and gaslighting. Episode. It's a whole it's thing. Another episode. Yeah, that's <laughs> another episode. <laughs> but yeah, I think I don't know what the best way to start circling around to summing this up is. But like for me, I've been impressed by the sheer variety of fiction that's actually available with polyamorous storylines in it that so much of it is new is great that some of the older stuff does hold up but only if you're actually really into the genre definitely um, yeah <laughs> like in some ways reading the old stuff is very much like going in a time capsule you have to be a little bit forgiving i will say also the nice thing about fiction is that across the board um even though the representation level varies mm -hmm. There's a lot less bad representation, like outright bad um, representation in fiction as compared to other forms of media. Specifically, I'm looking at TV and uh, film. TV and film, I got eyes on you. You're doing bad stuff. <laughs> right. Cut Nobody it out. is giving us like a tabloid equivalent fictional representation. 
Exactly. And I am here for that. Like fiction is definitely a safer place if you don't want to see an outright bad representation, I think. Yeah. Um, I think even if a relationship goes badly for the characters in fiction, it is very rarely because the author is trying to make a point that like polyamory is the devil. Yes. They think that they're usually making the point of that by having the polyamorous person be outright the villain at the opening and their relationship isn't the point. They're being hard and feathered. Right? Like 100%. So uh, it's just good that these stories are getting out there in the first place to a much greater degree than they used to be. Yeah. And I, I will say, like, the other thing. You know, I hate to keep coming back to Iron Widow, but the nice thing about Iron Widow, too, is that that book got really popular Mm -hmm. really fast. Like a lot of book talk picked up on it, but also it sold. And so the thing that I like about that is that that means that more open minded people are getting the idea of polyamory handed to them. Um as a starting point (laughs) right more people are getting the idea of polyamory quietly fed to them by a cool adventure story with mechs fighting in the future like pacific rim feminist sci-fi feeds people polyamory quietly exactly (laughs) (laughs) and i love that like there's so much that i think oh man if i had had books like this when i was you know 16 17 would i have had this realization about myself sooner and i think i mean honestly everything that i've seen about the up and coming generation is that they have a lot more visibility and transparency into these things and we can't ignore the role that literature has on that right <laughs> yeah and so in that sense it's wonderful so folks if you're looking for more information on any of these books i'm going to include uh, my previously existing post with my list of books and then i'm going to attach a second link to a post with abby's list as well um and really that's going to be pretty much the entirety of today's show notes uh because that's what we talked about today um i'm also going to link the couple of reviews of the couple of books that are in here that i've already posted reviews of i've reviewed iron widow and um what's it called i am my beloveds on the blog already Uh, i've got reviews of a couple more of these up on my tiktok and abby has uh polyamory and media videos on her tiktok at polyanarchy but thank you for being with me and talking about all of this i really appreciate it Of course, it was an absolute pleasure. (laughs) So thanks again to Abby for being with us for that. And uh, as we mentioned, you can find those posts with the links of books that we talked about, as well as a few that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but that we've each looked up and read that do have polyamory representation in them uh, at the blog. The blog, of course, is at readyforpolyamory.com. Uh, And you can find in the link tree in the show notes, all of my social media. I'm at ready for polyamory most places, including TikTok, where you can also find Abby there at polyanarchy on TikTok. They're really hilarious and a great human to follow, not just for these polyamory in the media takes, which are amazing, but in general, because they're just joyful in sharing their polyamorous journey. And it's wonderful to watch. 
For events coming up, I've got um, the Relationship Anarchy Applied Play Partnerships class coming up at the end of February, uh, and I'll be at Tethered Together in March. The links for both of those can be found on the events page of the blog, or I'll throw the links in the show notes as well if folks are interested in tickets for either of those. The Relationship Anarchy Applied class is one that I'm throwing as a standalone Uh, And Tethered is part of a larger weekend conference that I'm running a couple of classes and a polyamory mixer at. I hope all of you have a great week and that this week's episode has given you some new interesting things to read. Have a good one. Bye.